And I want you to open your Bibles tonight. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. We're studying the Sermon on the Mount. It's all about life on God's terms. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is. It's living the way God expects us to live. It's not suggestions. How many of you know that the Sermon on the Mount is not a good suggestion? It's not lofty ideas or ideals that we should consider, but they are ways of life. We looked at the Beatitudes, and we know they're not suggestions because it says, Blessed are, and it says, They shall receive or they shall inherit. And I guess if they're not that, then they won't inherit. And so we got to take it as Jesus gave it, as words of life. This is the way, walk ye in it. The Sermon on the Mount is not popular in this world and this age and this time. Because a lot of people have gotten used to two things in religion. Two devastating cancers in religion. Comfort and happiness. Make me comfortable. Make me happy. And everything is fine. It's not that you're concerned or you're convicted about your sins or how you're living. Just make me comfortable and make me happy. And you'll find many places in the Sermon on the Mount, it makes you neither happy nor comfortable because God is dealing with our hearts and our lives, the way we live. And this is all about that. Now, in verse 13, 14, 15, and 16, we're talking here about the principles of influence. It characterizes how true Christians should witness in this world as salt and as light. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. But let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Let me do just a quick review about what we said the last time. The world is not a good place. That is, it's not a convenient place for Christians. The Bible says the world lieth in wickedness. First John 5. We're told in Galatians chapter 1 that Jesus gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this wicked world. And yet, in the prayer that Jesus prayed in the garden in John chapter 17, one of the things that he prayed concerning us was that the Father would not take us out of the world, but to leave us in the world. And if the world lieth in darkness, and the Bible talks about darkness as uh, you know, the power of darkness, the, uh, the works of darkness. Darkness is synonymous with evil and wickedness. It's the antithesis of God. It's the, other, the opposite of whatever God is, is wicked or darkness. And there's a contrast, obviously, between light and darkness here and salt and the way we should live and the way we should conduct our affairs in this world. But before we go to light, let me say a couple of things we said about salt. The world has nothing to commend itself to God with. There is nothing about the world that favors God or that would cause God to favor the world. The only thing in the world that commends the world to God is you. There's no other reason that God would be favorable to this earth and the fact that you're in it. The same as God had no reason to be favorable to Sodom and Gomorrah except for one reason. Lot was there. That's the only reason God prolonged His judgments was because His people were there. And the same thing is true today in type. The same thing is true today in this world. The world lies in darkness. As I said, it's a wicked and an evil place. It seethes with evil. And yet you're in it, and you're in it, and you're left in it for one reason, to witness to it. And it's not so much that you witness to it because of 
what you say as much as how you live. See, we're supposed to live, the Bible describes, as salt. I said two things about salt. By the way, what's going to happen to the earth when God's people are taken off of it? Will it be favorable again? It'll be wrath. But the judgments of God will come on this earth. You read about them in the book of Revelation. There will be his people here who will be saved out of that time. But they will not escape those judgments that are coming. And I pray that you will. Because, again, God prolongs and withholds his judgments. Only he that now letteth will let until he, in Second Thessalonians 2, until he be taken out of the way. And when he is taken out of the way, then comes all kinds of wrath from God. So as long as you're here, we have a function on this earth. We have a requirement from the Lord, a mandate from God to be like salt. Salt does two things. One salt gives flavor. Remember in Job chapter 6, we talk about what would an egg taste like without salt. Aren't you glad he said that? I am. Salt naturally gives flavor to things. That's why we use salt on tomatoes and other things. It just enhances the flavor. You derive more enjoyment from it with salt. So salt gives flavor to the earth just like we should give flavor to the earth. Again, the only thing on the earth that's commendable to God that would bring his favor or grace on this earth is you. There's no other reason for God to be good. He said he causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. The unjust don't realize the debt he owes the just. But when the just is taken out of the way, it's going to be bad. The second thing that salt does is that salt preserves. People have for centuries salted meat, things that perish like meat, that decay, that can be preserved with salt. Whether it's bacon or ham today, you're familiar with the terms ham that are salted, that are preserved through salt, because it stops the decaying process. Well, in a spiritual sense, so should we. We're on this earth to not only know that we are in a war and in warfare, but our warfare should be conducted successfully. We should be doing what Jesus said. Remember Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so send I you. In John 20. And then, in 1 John 3, he said, For this cause the Son of Man came, among other things, that he might destroy the works of the enemy. And he said, As the Father sent me, so send I you. He didn't send us to save the world. We can't. But he did send us to deal with our adversary. He said he goes about like a roaring lion. He said, You resist him. I would say today that the average Christian, the average Christian who has been taught maybe shallowly, put little emphasis upon teaching. Most of the emphasis is, is up on church presentation, membership, atmosphere and all of that, music and looks, but not really on teaching and being ground in the Word. And the devil knows that he can get by with a lot amongst Christian people because they don't know how to resist. Most of the time, they would never identify the devil as their problem. Their problem is just something in the air or something... In, in the family tree or something going around or one of those hopeless situations where, man, I hate that happened. But behind all of that, the Bible says there is an enemy. There is an adversary. And he's the devil. And if he can hoodwink Christians and if he can hide behind ignorance, then he is free to do whatever he wants to do. But when your eyes and my eyes are open to see who it is we're dealing with, then we begin to realize that God has equipped us to deal with him. We didn't realize what the sword of the Spirit was for or what the shield of faith was for. We read all of that. We studied that and heard it mentioned in a lot of sermons. We just never knew how to make application of it. When it said the shield of the Spirit wherewith you may be able to quench all or most of the fiery darts of Satan. Well, then whatever he does, whatever the devil is behind... Whatever it is, doesn't matter what it is, whatever wiles, craft, physical, mental, financial, spiritual, marital, whatever the problem is that is so disruptive and brings people to depression and just, ugh, the devil's behind it. Well, the shield of faith is what the Bible says quenches all the fiery darts of Satan. Now, if you know that, you know you can fight back. 
What do you say in Ephesians 6? We wrestle not against flesh and blood. That is visible, physical things. But our warfare is against things we can't see. Principalities and powers in the air. You can't see them, but you must believe they're there. If you don't believe they're there, you'll never act your faith. You just think those are words in the Bible that cannot be scientifically verified. So that was probably for a culture or a time that was steeped in superstition and thought there were demons or something out there. Well, if he can disarm you like that, you'll never fight back. You'll never fight back. But once you realize that behind all of our maladies, all of them, A-L-L is the devil. And that's who you fight against. That's who you must stand against. That's who you're wrestling with. That's who you're fighting against. That's who you labor against. That's why you arm yourself and equip yourself. That's who you resist steadfast in the faith. It's the devil. And if we don't know how to do that, if we don't know, like spiritually speaking, as salt, if we do not know how to preserve and keep ourselves from being victimized and overcome by this devil at his will. If we don't know how to do that, then he will overtake us. But, you know, I don't want to get into this too far, but I'll tell you one thing. In 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus is seated in heavenly places until, until we put his enemies under our feet. Now, that's what it says. Am I saying that, well, he's not coming back until the church, his people overcome? Well, it sounds a lot like that, but you read it for yourself. Don't believe it because I said it. But you stop and think how many times we get overwhelmed with things and how seldom ever do we quote the Bible. A lot of people pray, but they don't really expect it to work. They just pray because that's what we're supposed to do, but they really don't. When they pray, believe they have received an answer. They just hope they get an answer. It's kind of a sad and tragic situation because I was like that. When I came to the Lord, that's exactly the way I was. been in church all my life. That was the way I was. Nobody ever told me it could be different than that. And when I heard the first time, you don't have to live under the foot of the devil all your life, then I began to change things in my life and my family and my children. In my home, like 91st Psalm, no evil shall befall you and no plague will come near your dwelling. And you begin to exercise your faith in that for your home. And the reason you did that was because you could. Because all the promises that are made in the Bible are in Jesus Christ, yes, and in Him, amen. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. There's no, well, in some cases He could, but He might not want. No, it says all the promises are yes and amen, just like the shield of faith quenches all the fiery darts. A lot of people have raised their shield up, but when it got intense and difficult, they convinced themselves they couldn't go on, they couldn't handle this, it's too much, too far, too hot, too slow, too something. And they kind of submitted themselves to the difficulty and just backed off and their excuse, you know, I'm not ready for that. I mean, I'm sorry, but I'm not ready for that. And yet God said, no temptation has taken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond that which you're able. But if you're convinced you're not that able, then you have low expectations of your Christian life. You give up real easy, and you back off real easy. And you will not triumph daily in Christ, as you should, because you convinced yourself, or the devil has, that you can't do it. But listen, somebody will. Somebody is going to overcome. Somebody is not going to be overcome by all the wiles and schemes of the devil, but they're going to make application of the Word. They're going to find themselves walking in victory and walking above and not below, exercising faith in God and living the kind of life that God wants you to live. Now, that's what salt should do. One of the witnesses that we have in this world is that we should be like salt. That we should live in such a way that, well, remember the verse, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is within you. Why would anybody ask us something like that ever? Because in observing your life or your witness of your life, you're different.
And the only reason you're different is not because you're smarter, better, or more capable. It's only because God opened your eyes to see something that you believed. A lot of people have seen it, but not everybody's believed it. Turn to Mark 9 so we can go to light tonight. I want to look at Mark chapter 9 for just a moment concerning salt. Because Jesus asked this in our text. He said, if salt has lost its savor, what good is it? You think about it. If you had salt in a shaker and you had, oh, two or three really good eggs in front of fixed just right. But you can fix an egg almost anyway. But you got an egg right there and you got anything that goes with it. And you got your salt shaker and you put some salt on. You saw it go on there. It looks like salt. It's in a salt shaker. It goes to church. I mean, and you sprinkle it on there, but this doesn't change the flavor. In other words, you apply it. It looks like it. It shakes like it. It's in the right kind of jar, but there's nothing to it. Now, is that possible to be a true illustration spiritually? It's possible. And the question Jesus asked was, if salt doesn't have its saltiness, the question is, what good is it? Well, it's good for little. Let me read Mark chapter 9, verse 49. For everyone shall be salted with fire. Now, what does fire do? And what's the illustration here mean? Fire can be either judgment. Our God is a consuming fire. And that's what that means in that verse in Hebrews 12. But fire can also be how you're purified. Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which shall try you as though something strange has happened to you because fire will purge you. God said in Zechariah 13, He said, I will bring the third part through the fire and shall refine them. Malachi talks about the refiner's fire. That He will take the sons of Levi, the priestly tribe, a picture of the kingdom of priests in the New Testament, and He will refine them with fire and purge them. Now, in a sense that of being purged and refined and thus preserved, salt and fire are similar, at least in that sense. So let me use that and go on. Everyone shall be salted with fire, and every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt have lost its saltiness, wherewith will it be seasoned? How will you season it? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Let me tell you something. Convince yourself. Make sure in your own life as a Christian that you're in this thing for the long haul no matter what. I don't care who dies or who flies or who comes or who goes or anything else. I am committed to living this life if I have to live it alone. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Then I'll follow but I have that commitment within myself. And God will honor that commitment because God is a great preserver. He said, have salt in yourself. But here's a picture again. If salt has lost its saltiness, what good is it? If we as Christians are indistinguishable from the world, the only difference between us and the world is that we're in a jar with other white things. So, and the world isn't. What's the difference? If we do not add flavor or have any preserving influence in our community, our homes, or the nation, because we're told to pray for the presidents, and that's not an aimless request. It's supposed to do something. It's supposed to have an effect. But if we as Christians not only don't do that, but if we do it aimlessly or half-heartedly and it has no effect, then we're not functioning the way that we should. Now, we're glad to be here. We're glad we've come this far. I am too with you. Amen. All of that. Nobody's perfect yet. But it's clear as you read like in the Sermon on the Mount, this is an outstanding portion of Scripture. There's no other portion or section of New Testament like this one. And it's very little thing about salt, just a little word like salt and all the things that it implies and that it means. And the question is like, again, if we're saltless, we're not distinguishing in the world from the world and its ways. If we do the same thing the world does and act the same way, dress the same way, go to the same places and all of that, and if we're given into social drinking and 
being argumentative and combative or political. We're no different from the world. We go to church, that's the only difference. We're like a little salt shaker, but the salt is like sawdust. It's nothing. It gives no flavor. It doesn't commend anything to God. It brings God into nothing. It's a form and a formality, and it doesn't mean anything. So that's what he meant. He said that we should be at peace with each other and that we should have salt in ourselves. And if we are saltless people, then the question we have to ask ourselves is, then what is our mission on this earth? Jesus said he left us on this earth. Do we not have a mission here? Do we not have a goal? Has not God pointed us somewhere? Yes, we're to grow up into him in all things to the measure, the stature, the fullness of God. Yes. But while we're doing all of that, we must always remember that we are called salt. And we have to ask ourselves, how salty am I? How salty am I? Now, in verse 14, go back to Matthew 5 for tonight, verse 14. Secondly, he says, we are lights in the world. We are salt and we are light. What is light? Now, we know that light is what drives darkness. If this room was dark and you turn on the light, we can see. So we see that. That's simple. But spiritually, what do you think it means when God says we are light? We're not light bulbs. We're not turned on and off by electricity. So what does it mean? We'll turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and look at verse 6 and 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6. Now we're asking the question, what does the Bible mean by light? See, I'm a great believer in definitions. Listen to me. Without definitions, we go nowhere. You really don't. An undefined life is nothing more than a liberal politician. Nothing matters. It's whatever works today is okay, and there's no definitions. Every message that the Lord would give us has to have some definition. We've got to know what you're talking about. That's what teaching is all about. And what are we talking about here? We say that we are the light of the world. What do we mean by that? I don't know how you folks study or how you approach Scripture. That's the only way I know how to do it. What do you mean by light? Let me investigate in the Scripture with my trusty concordance, which has been reduced to a bunch of buttons on a keyboard. Let me investigate the word light, the uses of it, the context of it, and what it means, and then let me examine myself in light of that to see if I'm light, if I am living as light, because he said, you are the light of the world. Now, in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts, and here's what it is, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, which is in the face of the person of Jesus Christ. You would agree with me when we say that Jesus is a visible representation of a glorious God. He is that. And what light is, God who started the whole thing and said, let there be light. And things became the same God is the one the Bible says, spiritually speaking, has shown into our hearts, has invaded darkness. We were all in darkness. We were all children of disobedience in Ephesians 2. Children of disobedience, living darkness had dark personalities, dark shadows. We were like the apostles. Jesus said, you then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children. In fact, we were like that. We could hear what he says and we could follow. We'd go to church and go to Sunday school. But the darkness ruled in our lives. No matter how hard we tried to do right, we could not. And the only way things ever change for anybody is when God initiates the change. God alone can shine in a sinner's heart and enlighten him as to who God is or who Jesus is. In other words, you could never know Jesus until God opens your eyes. While you live in the world, you're spiritually blind. 
And when God opens your eyes to see something, see Jesus, at least in your own way that He has revealed to you and shows you what He did for you and how you can access that salvation through Him, until that happens, all you can do is live as a world. You might be a nice boy. Your mom thought you was or a nice girl. Your mother thought you were. But you can never be right with God until God opens your eyes. He said to Peter, Peter, who do men say that I am? He said, well, some say you're this and some say that. But who do you say that I am? He said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. You remember what Jesus said to him? He said, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you but my Father, which is in heaven. Because you see, the Father in heaven is the one who shines in our hearts to give light of His glory, which is in the face and the person of Jesus Christ. And in verse 7, it says, We have this treasure, this kind of enlightenment. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. That's these earthly vessels that we run around in. We read over in Psalm 19, we sing this song a lot, we used to. We've talked about the statutes of the Lord are clean and pure and holy. It says the commandment of the Lord enlightens the eyes. The commandments of the Lord, the statutes of the Lord is what enlightens the eyes and opens your eyes. You remember in Ephesians chapter 1, when Paul was praying for the church, he says, I pray that God... We start there. The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that He may give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. He says, the eyes of your understanding, another word would be heart, the eyes of your heart in being illumined or enlightened. That On the inside, you begin to see what only God can reveal. You begin to see Jesus as He really is and not as He is portrayed by pictures and stories. But you begin to see Him as He is. And the whole design of this kind of light is to change you. It's called a treasure. Not everybody has that. Don't shout me down if if it works. Not everybody has an enlightened heart. A lot of religious people... Now, I'm not saying bad people. A lot of friends I've known and probably know until they're gone. Decent guy. I grew up with a bunch of them. Bunch of fun people to be around, but they have dark hearts. They not only have dark hearts, they really don't want to hear all the things that you say about it. Turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, because he says quite a bit about light in the Gospel of John, spiritually understood here. John chapter 1 and verse 4. We're asking, what is light? Well, we've already found in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, light is a revelation of Jesus Christ. It's a knowledge of the Lord. Are you with me so far? Now, is it not true then, if I have a revelation of Jesus Christ given to me by God, will it not affect the way I live? Let me tell you something. I've seen this my whole life. You can go forward and raise your hand in a time of great conviction and never be changed. But I don't know how any man can not be changed when he confronts the Savior. And God opens his heart and he begins to see not only his sins and what his sins did to him, but also God and how caring and loving and forgiving he is. And the divine nature that is deposited within a man's renewed heart, a man's quickened life. This begins to grow. This begins to increase, and you're supposed to decrease. This new life, the knowledge and the revelations that you're beginning to live and talk about and adjust to and give up this and give up that, and because you begin to living, I found a new way of living. I found a new life divine, and so forth. Remember that? You begin to live this way, people take note of it, and you become a witness. Your light is beginning to shine. They can tell by what you do, your works, the way you conduct your affairs, that something has happened to you. They may not want to join you. They may not like it. They may break away from you. A lot of people do. 
but they cannot deny that something bigger than life is changing your life. And again in verse 4, in John chapter 1 and verse 4, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. This is what light is. It's His life living in us. That's what is supposed to shine. Verse 5, And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehendeth it not. Doesn't get it. What if I told you that weekly, maybe every time there's a meeting, and if in those meetings God gives light, that there are people who never get that. They may learn the terms, memorize some of the stories and the terms of the Bible. They may even find out what substitutionary atonement means or vicarious sufferings, big stuff like that. They've heard that. They may even try to memorize some of those things, but it's academic. It's all what you can do with your mind and what you can quote, but it's not what you live. Life, life is not something you memorize. Life is a way you conduct yourself. It's how you live. And the only way that's right is the way that God shows. Are you with me? That's the only way that is right. No other way can work. The light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. In John 8 and verse 12 of the same book, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. This is the only way that is right. I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. If you're Christian, if you're truly born again, what do you have? Play like I'm a teacher and I'm giving you a verbal test. If you have been born again, Christ is in you, what do you have? Life. You have life because you have light. Revelation produces reality. Okay? Revelation produces reality. Can you say that? Revelation produces reality. You've got something that has been made real to you. You've heard it before. You might have read it before, but it was never real to you until the day that God anointed it to your heart. Martin Luther. How many people had read down through the centuries Romans 1.16? How many people through the centuries, not many because there wasn't any printed Bibles, but they had heard it. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. Believe? You mean I don't have to earn it? No. It's a free gift from God. You can't earn it. You cannot qualify for it. You can only be a recipient of it. Not because you're good enough. You never will be. But because God chose to do it. You didn't choose me, Jesus said. I have chosen you. So, light... Defining light. Light is the knowledge of God. And its design is to lead me through life. Not the way I want to live, because we're talking about a revelation of God's terms on how I should live. Psalm 119, I think it's 105, said, The entrance of thy words give light. They give understanding to the simple. Aren't you glad it said that? I am. The entrance of thy words. And again, this is an act of God, not just some little Bible study. This is an act of God. It could happen in a Bible study, but it's God that does it. The entrance of thy words give you a revelation of who it is you're to follow, how it is you're to live, and your one way to please God. That is called light. Oh, you can see where you're going. Without light... You may have good ideas, you may have good philosophies and all of that, but you're walking in darkness. You cannot design, the headiest people cannot come up with something good enough for God to say, hey, that sounds pretty good, do that. All these worldly things are set aside by the chief of men. They're all set aside for the simplicity of the gospel. You know how simple it is? God reveals himself to you through this word, to your heart. And it brings a reality that could not otherwise be known. You begin to see who He is and what He is. 
This is what Jesus is talking about. The psalmist also said, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The word is a specific way we're to live. And how we groan at it. I've taught a message of faith all my saved life. I don't know how many people I've seen groan over that. Faith. He that comes to God must believe that he is. Isn't that what light is? Listen. He that comes to God must believe that he is and that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, not just let it pass by. Yeah, that's good. That was nice. Yeah, that's okay. But who pursue, who diligently seek. But I've never seen anybody seek after God as a deer panteth for the water brooks. I've never seen that happen with any casual hearer, with ever any shallow Christians. It always takes that experience where God divinely meets you wherever you were, wherever you are, however often he does it. He meets you and he begins to reveal or show himself to you. The more you hear the word, the more you begin to search in the word, and begin to set yourself in agreement with the Word. You may not know how to do all of this yet, but I want to believe all of this. I want to be a believer. And the more you begin to set yourself in agreement to do this Word, the more God is going to reveal Himself to you. The more it's going to get clear. In fact, if you still have your Bible open the Gospel of John, look in chapter 14 and verse 21. This is the way it works throughout the Scripture, what I'm telling you. He said, He that has my word and keeps it. Whoever has my word and keeps it, this is what's going to happen. He that has my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loves me. That's why he's motivated. And he that loves me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him little by little in every day. You remember that song? Is it not true that we get a glimpse of Jesus enough to, oh, I want more? More about Jesus. Would I learn? Isn't that good? I mean, the words, not the music here. Of course it is. And then in verse 23, if any man... Love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. What kind of revelation are you going to find then? All that the Father has, he shows to you as you give yourself totally to him. You can't do that unless God first does what he does. God who caused light to shine out of darkness has shown into our hearts to give light of the knowledge of God who is a visible, physical representation of the invisible God. You read that in Hebrews 1 also. And so when we see Him, we begin to see not only how God wants us to live, we read that He was an example for us to follow in His steps. That as He is, so are we in this present world. It's all about a life that transitions from your way to His way. And again, we may not be perfect about this, but at least he'll put us on the right track. Concerning this word, Proverbs 6 says, For the commandment is a lamp. His word, the commandment is a lamp and the law is light. And reproofs of instruction are the ways of life. Teaching. Teach me thy ways, O Lord, that I may walk in what? Thy truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. We sing that. Teach me thy way. If you don't teach us, God, who can? Some scholarly, heady person who likes to promote his intellect by wowing you with his verse quoting or storytelling? Or how about that time when God just speaks very quietly, very simply, maybe you're reading in the morning, maybe it's in the evening, maybe you're sitting in church rocking your baby or just relaxing. You begin to reflect on the things you've heard, 
meditate, Psalm 1 calls it. You begin to ponder what you've heard, how you are in light of that, and you begin to deal with yourself. And you don't realize that while you're doing this, your Heavenly Father is visiting you in a way that His Spirit begins to unhook you from dark things that you don't see well, and you begin to see things differently. I hope you had this experience often to where you find yourself going, praise God. I never saw that like that before. Wouldn't it be good if every day we just increase a little bit more? Light is knowledge. Second Peter, he says, it was through the knowledge of God that has been given unto us great and exceeding precious promises through the knowledge. We wouldn't know what belongs to us unless we found it in the Word. And that by this knowledge, he said, our eyes are open to this lodging of the divine nature in our hearts so that we can escape the corruption that's in the world. It all comes about by something that God does, is to open your eyes and give you a reason to get up tomorrow and live right, to treat people right, and to talk right, to make good decisions. To get on the cross and crucify everything that wants to complain and whine and whimper. I want you to turn to Psalms. Psalm 36, if you don't mind. Psalms 36 and verse 9. I think it's the end of that verse or towards the end of it. He says, In thy light, the revelation that you give to us, Lord, about who Jesus is, the way you want us to go, the life you want us to live, in thy light, where does light come from? From God. What does it do? It reveals. Always. There's never a time it doesn't. Light scatters darkness. If there's dark closets in your life and you hear the word, what happens to those closets? They're revealed and you go, Ugh! Hope nobody knows this. God knows it. He wants you to deal with it. You don't need that trash in your life. He wants you to deal with it. That's why He shows it to you. Why was it a year later when David repented? Because a prophet came to him and said, Thou art the man with Bathsheba. And then he wrote Psalm 51. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation and so on and so forth. He had a revelation of himself. Maybe a revelation of our laziness or our low expectations of ourselves. How hard we don't try. You get that? How hard we don't try. And how easy we dismiss ourselves from effort. And how often our sights are not set on walking up where we should walk. We just figure we're not ready for that and where I am is good enough. And after all, no. It's always an uphill walk, uphill drive, uphill without brakes. And it's only because God has opened your eyes. If your eyes are not open, you're bored to tears right now. You're bored to tears because there's something lacking in a receptacle that God has renewed. If it's not been renewed, then there's nothing going to be hidden in that heart. But he said, in thy light, we see light. As I see what you show me, you show me more. As I walk in the right way with the right heart and the right attitude, I am beginning to see more than I have before. Like he said in Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 18, But the path of the just is like a shining light. The path of the just is like a shining light that shineth more and more into the perfect day. Our mission in this life is not only to represent to the world the light of God, a picture of something that God is redoing, that God has turned around, an imperfect vessel full of darkness, a sinful, nasty creature that God has not only cleansed but is renewing, a witness to the world that it really does work and it can work. And the more you live it, the more brightly your light shines. As Proverbs said, it shines that way until the perfect day. John chapter 3. Will you go back to John? We're still asking the question, what is light? Light is a revelation that God gives. 
of Jesus Christ and how to live and how to imitate Him. How to walk in His steps. Being urged on by the Holy Spirit and so forth. John 3, 19, 20, and 21. This is the condemnation. This is why the world is in trouble. That light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Is it not true that a whole lot of people who really got convicted about their sins, maybe you knew somebody who was in a special meeting one night, wasn't any special gift of teaching or anything, but just one of those nights where God was meeting somebody. And they became keenly aware of my sinfulness before God, my need to be saved. And as they began to examine their life and what they were doing and what they liked doing and what they enjoyed doing, whether it was beer or whatever or living with some girl or some guy, they were in a pickle between needing God but having to give up this stuff. Now, if somebody said, well, you can come to the Lord. You don't have to give up all this other stuff. You can live with whoever you want. Somebody's lying to you. This is the condemnation that the world which has heard about Jesus Christ and has heard what He has and what He wants us to be, that men love darkness better than life because their deeds, their works, that which the world is supposed to see from us as it shines, their works were evil. They would rather have their way, their pot, their drugs, their girlfriend, that group he hangs out with. I'd rather have that now than to have Jesus in eternity. Only one day to get a phone call about a dreadful thing that happened to that person. Now they can't repent. It's, it's over. How tragic is that? He said, if the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? If the way you're seeing things is not the way God shows things and not the way God sees things, how terrible is what you see? Because it leads to destruction. Verse 20, For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither comes to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. Or he'll make excuses, or she will. And verse 20, but he that doeth truth cometh to the light that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. Now, what's the difference between these two people here? One is a guy that hears it, knows it, realizes that he is condemned before God. Have you ever been there? And you've never been born again if you've never been here. You've got to be here first. Because if I'm condemned, how do I get uncondemned? And he knows that he can't do it. But then he goes on to say in verse 21, but he that doeth what? Help me now. Verse 21 says, he that doeth what? What is truth? Now see, that's another. What is truth? John 17, 17. Thy word is truth. It goes back to that. Thy word is, sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth, Jesus said. And those who do the truth are those obviously who have found the truth. You can't do the truth unless somebody has taught you or you have found out whatever method you've employed, find out what truth is. Truth is not what settles in the hearts of social acceptance. Truth is what the Bible says. They may be close. There is a way that seemeth right. Truth is the Word of God. The source of truth is God because He is called... A God of truth without iniquity. You remember that song? Just then right is he. And he that doeth truth cometh to the light. I need thee, oh, I need thee. You ever heard that song? Every hour I need thee. Why? Because I'm poor in spirit. I am not capable of living this life on yesterday's fuel fill. 
this is another day. I don't know what to do today. I need, I need your light. Open my eyes to see not only my strengths and my weaknesses. Show me what humility is and how to live it. And how to be a good citizen in your kingdom. You can't do any of that unless you know what it is. Folks, if somebody doesn't learn you, if somebody doesn't learn you, somebody doesn't teach us, how will we know what to do? We can do good, but good doesn't mean necessarily truth. Truth is specific. It's not general, it's specific. And the truth is that this is the way, this is the way we should walk. It never varies. This word never goes with cultures. It doesn't work just in America, but it won't work in Africa. It's not something that worked 30 years ago or 50 years or 100 years ago, but it, it won't work today. Times have changed. This word is changeless. Never changes. Just like the light that God gives. The knowledge of Jesus Christ will never change. I don't care what culture, society... Or the times or the seasons are, there is one life that has been the same way for 2,000 years. What worked in Jerusalem before they tore it down is the same thing that works today. Nothing has changed. They didn't have milkshakes back then, but the word then is the same as the word today. They didn't have vehicles in. They didn't have malls in Jerusalem. Not then. But it doesn't matter. Truth doesn't depend on times. Truth is a specific thing that is eternal in nature. It never changes. And those that have the light walk in the truth. That's what Jesus said. Now, as we come to a close, seeing what light is, at least as much of it as we can see tonight, what do we do with it? Because he told us in our text, he said, you are lights. He said specifically, he said, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. So we are made to know by Jesus that our lives are to be seen. Are they not? We're not monks in a cave. Seeing how much we can learn, how deep we can get. There's nothing wrong with that. We could use a lot of that too. But whatever you learn has to exemplify itself in your life. If you learn so much, you know earthly good, then you've learned something bad or the wrong way. Everything we learn should make us more like Christ. Amen? It should make us as humble as He was, make us faithful as He is, was, is. It should make us like Him because as He is, so are we in this world. What do we do with this light? Well, here's what Jesus told Paul to do on that road to Damascus. In Acts 26 and verse 18, to open their eyes that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God. And he distinguishes there the difference between light and darkness as between God and the devil. He said, Paul, you're going to be a light to the Gentiles. You're going to be a light. You're going to be a living, visible, flesh and blood, just like other people are. You're going to be a living, visible, shining of light to these people. You're not going to glow at night or nothing like that. We're talking about spiritual things. Your message, your message will accompany your life. The two will mesh. You won't say one thing and do something else. That's not light. But you will do what you teach. You will live the way you live. So that Paul said, you know, when I was with you, I defrauded no man, took nothing from anybody but this and this. I mean, his life was precious to him. I've heard people say all my life, the reason they respected some people, specific people, pointed out people, is that they said, well, he lives what he preaches. Shouldn't we all? This is what light does. It gives us a testimony that others are going to see. And they're going to watch us carefully. You ever been watched? I've never been watched, but others have. 
They watch you carefully to see if there's anything in you that can maybe perhaps cause you to fall. Let me give you a translation of Acts 13 and verse 47. It says, I have destined thee for a light to the Gentiles, a means of salvation to the ends of the earth. Paul, your message, just like the message of me and you, our message that we are given, that we're to share with the world, is a message of salvation. Isn't salvation the good news? I am not ashamed of the gospel, Romans 1.16, for the gospel, listen now, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. Our message is that. I preach nothing but Christ and Him crucified. Everything centers around Christ. The focus of our life, the focus of everything we do is Jesus. It's not Shelbyville Christian anything. It's not a new anything, bigger, brighter. It is Jesus. He can meet us in a place like this. He can meet us in a basement. Where two or more are gathered, He is there. And the important thing is that we acknowledge that. And recognize it is you that I want to serve. It is you that I want to live like. And so on and so forth. He says we are a city in our Sermon on the Mount. He said we are a city set on a hill. We're supposed to be seen. See, we, I say we editorially in Christianity. We have tried to get the attention of people, not by living the Word, but by doing things. I'm not talking about bad things. We like to have projects of helping the poor or maybe building things or maybe a big church or having a food center. All of that's fine. Nothing wrong with anything as long as the focus of your life is not being recognized as some ambitious Christian, but the focus of your life is living the Christian life. Not having a good idea, well, i tell you what I think a Christian ought to do. Well, this is how I say it. Well, this is what I think. It doesn't matter what any of us think. We're all compelled to go to the same cross, to live the same way, to walk the same path together. It's not one way for me and one way for you because I'm a preacher and say you're not. The foot of the cross is level. And the only way that is right for us to live is the way that he shows us. Living this way is when our light is shining. It's when we're noted. Then the Bible talks about Christians one time that people in the community took note that they had been with Jesus. Why would they say that? Why would they say that about you if it's been said? Well, he's stuck on Jesus. Boy, they're big on Jesus. If the only thing we ever wanted to do was just study, 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 and learn, 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 and just see how much we could learn, but our lives, we were still argumentative and grumbling and complaining and didn't treat our wives and kids right if we didn't do right in the community, wouldn't pay our bills. What good is all the learning? Light's not shining, is it? Grumbling and complaining and whining and crying. Sitting around listening to the conservative blabbers talk about all the negative things in society making you like that. That ain't what Jesus called us to be like. Let the world do what it does. We're here to make disciples. Amen. Wherever he puts us, whether in a big cathedral like this place is. Pretty nice pulpit. Bunch of good people. Nice people anyway. We got a life to live. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 8 it said, But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. You won't last long with them, but you'll be doing what's right. Blessed are you. Didn't he say the last time we studied on verse 9 and 10, blessed are you and persecuted for righteousness' sake? Part of our job here is to expose darkness. This world is dark. It's a vile place. People know when you can turn your head and you don't laugh at jokes or look at that racy-looking lady or dress like that girl over across the streets dressing. People know why you don't do like that. 
They know why you don't act like that. They begin to equate the fact that you're not like other people are because, well, you go to church. But then they know a lot of people that go to church, but do that. So what's the thing with you? Some of them even get interested and ask questions, and you say, well, I'm not better than anybody. I may be different, but because I choose to be different, because living your life in this world is a choice. We live by choices. Everybody. I am what I am tonight because of the choices I've made in my life, just like you are. We made some bad ones. We made some good ones, but we made choices. That's the way it works. You do have to turn to this verse. Philippians 2, as we begin to close, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 15 and 16. This one is special. Let me get verse 14 because I just talked about that. That's one of the first things you teach children when they're growing up. One of the first verses you teach your children. Do all things without murmuring and disputings. Why? That... You may be blameless and harmless. That's the Beatitudes. The sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Does your Bible say that? How is that meant to be understood? The next verse, the first part of the next verse. Holding forth the word of life. People of the book. Book livers, not livers, but living, <laughs> living by the book. They begin to know that you make decisions because, well, the Bible says. Why don't you all do this? Well, the Bible says. How come over in your church, like we have a collar on this thing, how come in your church people, because the Bible says. And obviously for those that believe that and it's a conviction, they live that way. Not everybody in here has the same convictions about healing or prosperity or a lot of things. That's your business. You live by choices. My job is to tell you what it says, but I can't learn for you. You know what believe means. That's what he said. Remember 1 Peter 2, 9? We should show forth the praises of him who brought us out of darkness into his what? We praise the Lord. To be like Jesus. To be like Jesus. Remember that song? Why would you want to be like that? Because I have learned something about him. And what I have learned supersedes anything else in the world that I think I want to be like. Because if I'm with him, I am living in the favor of God constantly. Now, in closing, as a close, I'm going back to John with this. John chapter 12. If you'll turn there, I'll appreciate it. We're going to look at two verses in John chapter 12, maybe three. Not that we're done, but we'll just stop. John 12 and verse 35. We end by talking about the issue of faith. Now, right, you know me and faith. I've got to bring that in. But I'm not going to bring something in because I want to. Even Jesus brought it in. John 12 and verse 35. Then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while the light is with you. Walk while you have light, lest darkness come upon you. And he that walketh in darkness doesn't know where he's going. That's why they usually quit, because nothing works for them, because they don't know how to access the things of God. They want to. They're good people. They just don't know how to do it, and they get discouraged. And then verse 36 says, While you have light, believe in the light, so that. Believe in the light is sandwiched between First of all, while you have light, assuming you have it, then he talks about what makes it work. And then it says the result of it, that you may be children of light. Let me ask you a simple question as we get ready to go home. What is it that God says, finally, that brings you into being children of light? Believing. It doesn't work because you're here tonight, because you've heard it a thousand times. That's not why it works. It works because you believe it. I take it your word, Lord. I'm counting on it to be true. No matter what, you'll be tested. Will you hold on? If you do, your light is shining really, really good. But while you have light, if you have it, believe in the light. 
Thirdly, that you may be the children of light. It's three things. If you've got it, believe it, so that. Do you see that? I hope you do because the last verse is verse 46. I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not what? Does your Bible say that? Whosoever believeth in me, not mentally acknowledges me, but whoever believes in me, believes to the point of living. Believe is a verb. It shows action. It does something. Believeth on me shall not abide in darkness. Amen? Bow your head with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would help us to always see it as a child would see it. Simply to take you at your word because of who you are. To have the courage to walk in the way you show us, whether others accept it or not, no matter what it costs us. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the words in the Sermon on the Mount. I thank you for the challenge. Graciously lead us continually, Lord, whether it's through valleys or over hills. Teach us your way so that we can walk in your truth. We ask you to do that in Jesus' name. Amen.